Welcome to Off the Bench with Danny Cannell. Danny Cannell. Back to throw versus Danny. Pete is tight end. And Raja Bell. Bell has done three three. 22 to Raja. It's all the future of football right before your eyes. Just yell it out, man. He can't guard me. All right. Welcome to Cannell and Bell hanging out. It is, what day is it? Wednesday. Wednesday. Pump day. Shoe showdown day. <laughs> we got that as well. Raja is coming in hot. Thinks he's got an easy win. I say, hold on, not hold so fast. I say, hold on a second. Although I did, I I ordered the new. What what show? What movie is that from? Which one? Hold the phone. She's got a cannon. What show? What movie oh, is that? Dodgeball man. Come oh, on. that's right. That's your yeah. boy. Uh, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. Um. Anyway. So I ordered the new. I almost brought him in today. Actually, I probably shouldn't tell you because I might use him another week. But I got some sweet golf shoes. But I want to send them off to our boy. Plead the fifth. And then have them represented. Oh, the word! No, yeah. no augmented shoes for the show. No, yeah, no absolutely. There are once we all get them in there together, okay, then we can fair go enough, show. Fair enough. Fair enough. Fair enough. Do it. Uh, so then we could do that. Um, last night, I am not a hockey fan, right? But we had a game seven. St. Louis Blues were playing, and on my radio show, I asked uh, our producer on my radio show, "I'm like, what should I do in tonight's game?" I was like, "Who should I take to win?" He's like, right. "Well, the Blues. They're probably going to win. They're the home team, the home ice, which they did." Uh-huh. But he's like, you don't get really good value. That was like minus 150. He's like, take the game to go to overtime. And so I was like, I was like, all right, I love it. I got great odds on it. So I took it and guess what happened? Double overtime. So I won my bet and I'm not even, I am double. No, I wish you got double paid. I wonder if I'm sure there was a bet for what does that pay like? What does that pay like? So I put a hundred bucks and it paid back 300. That's, so yeah, so it wasn't bad. It was yeah, pretty good. That's but, a hell of a call. But a lot of things to go to overtime. Yeah, and if but if like he he was his point essentially was a lot of times hockey games go to overtime in the playoffs. Like they're just really tight. It's hard to tell. You get the best goalies doing right. what they do. Right. And and it has it does play out that way a lot, which is why people say game sevens are some in hockey are some of the best most entertaining games you will see in any sport. And I fell asleep anyway. So I, I didn't did see the finish. It? I did not see the finish in that one. So I'll have to do that, uh, in any case, uh, at some other time. Um, we also had a couple blowouts in the NBA. We're going to yeah. get to those. Pete Blackburn, by the way, speaking of hockey, he's going to join us just a little bit later uh, to help us break down some Eight of the up. hockey uh, as the conference finals are getting close to being set. Um, but we off, we have some bad news for horse racing. So if it wasn't a rough enough, uh, news day, for Monday, when or Sunday, I guess, when all the stuff was breaking from the Kentucky Derby, right, when you right. had Country House win, Maximum Security disqualified, then on Mon- uh, Sunday, I think it was Sunday, no Monday morning, it was the Maximum Security owner was on there saying, "Well, we're not even going to go to the Preakness. We're going to take our ball and decision. go home." Right. Then that gets shut down. So you're like, all right, well, maybe there's still a chance at a triple crown with Country House because even though he didn't win, still he could probably win the Preakness, win the uh, the Belmont, and he could still get it done. Well. He has a little cold. Oh, so country house don't is we now, all. Exactly. Country house is taking, uh, he's taking his ball and going home, but it's a different reason. He's sick, has a respiratory deal. He's Joel Embiid in it. I was going to say it, but he's I figured Joel I would Embiid let you it. do yeah, it as ahead. well. I'll say it. I got no problem. He's no, he Joel is. You, it's a, how do you yell at a, at a horse though? Be like, this is the triple crown, <laughs> man. You got to get this thing going. You got to get ready to go. You got to suck it up. But. There has been a lot of controversy with horses, with their health. We've yeah. lost a lot of horses this year alone in this calendar year. Like 27, 28 horses have lost died. A lot of horses? Yeah, you didn't know that? Yeah, no, there is an epidemic out at Santa Anita, the track out there. Really? Yeah. So horse racing has a really rough year as far as publicity, PR, any way you look at it. It's been really bad. Um, so disappointing news for the Kentucky Derby. Uh, for golf, I think there is some great news because you have a former PGA champ, 
who probably wouldn't have been able to play, is now going to play, but he's going to get the aid of a golf cart. Why? What? It, what? <clears throat> so John Daly right. is 53 years old. Uh, he plays on the Champions Tour. Sure. He plays occasionally in some other events. It doesn't usually go well. Ooh, and hey. one of the reasons, yeah, he's a big boy. Ooh, hey. One of the reasons it doesn't go well is he says he has arthritis in his knees. He said he can only walk six holes before it gives out and he like literally can't go on anymore. So the PGA made an exemption for him and said, all right, we'll take you. You can play and get to ride a cart. The one caveat being normal carts, you're used to seeing a cover on it. Yeah. You can have it. You can't have the cover. So you're open air cart, but you get wheels to wild what is, ride you around. What, is the, what does the cover have to do with anything? What, the sun protection, the sun? heat. Yeah, whatever the elements are, you get out of those. I don't love it. I. So here's what I think I is interesting. Do you remember Casey Martin, uh, the guy who had the disease and he had a really bad limp? Yeah. And he had to petition like over and over and over, and they they turned him down, turned him down. Then they did let him do it in 2012, but it was a big deal. This one seems like. Penny. John Dale is getting preferential treatment. And like, hey, he's a PGA champion. I love that he's out there. He's got a dart in his mouth while he's on the like, <laughs> driving range. Fantastic. But um, if you can't participate because of an injury, arthritis, then you can't participate. Like, why can't – I mean, what does that right. open up Pandora's box for? Tiger's got a – Tiger's had three back surgeries. got a fused back. Good he, point. He tells you he can only play six holes without his back season up. You can give him a cart. Like, you, how is the rest of the field going to feel about that? Just because he might not represent a threat – to win um, the PGA Championship, that's besides the point. I don't, I don't know that because someone's got an arthritic knee. When you start to have arthritis to a degree that you can't do your job, it's time to retire. It's not time to give him a golf cart and make his job easier. That's not the way that works. And I love, I like John Daly. Like I like his loudmouth pants and shorts, and I like the whole shtick. But I don't think that handing him a golf cart is the right answer. So I think the only thing it becomes a problem because I think John Daly's one of those universally beloved figures, yeah. even because of all his blemishes. He wears his, shirt, you know, his heart on his sleeve. He talks openly about sure. his addiction issues. Uh, his, you know, all of his issues are right there on the table for you. I think that makes him really likable and lovable from not only the public, but I think also on the PGA Tour. Right. I think where this becomes problematic if he finishes top twenty. Yes. You know, all of a sudden it helps him so much and he's right there in the thick of things. I don't think that'll happen, but I do think you would see players being like, hold on a second. Cause I think you bring up an excellent point. Tiger Woods has been prevented from competing a lot in the last five years. Yeah. If he could ride, he's had issues. Story. Yeah. Because his knee, his Achilles, his back, his neck, all these issues. If he was able to go out there, I'm sure Tiger would be like, Hey, what about mine? Correct. Where's my cart? Not just Tiger, any golfer that's suffered any kind of injury that's held them out of action or, or not allowed them to compete. Uh, at a level over the course of four days that they'd like to compete at, you're opening up Pandora's box for you have a leg a leg condition or a disease, and then that's documented. You know that's one thing. But when you're talking about him and <laughs> I got a knee that hurts because I got arthritis in it, let me get a golf cart. And right. You're okaying that. Um, that's a slippery slope. See, the difference is with Casey Martin was disability. Uh, that, and now you're talking about an injury like later in correct. your career just because you're getting older. That seems uh, like it's uh, pretty unfair. Yeah. You know who else would love to have a uh, disability issue, a disability excuse? Is one Joel Embiid. He has and one. He's got he, one every game. He does have one every game. And last night was no different as I guess he's still fighting this illness, still fighting this art, you know, the, the issues in his knees, fight, whatever it is. The only explanation is it was bad. And well, there, you know, you could have every excuse in the yeah. world. It was embarrassing. The Sixers performance last night against the Raptors when they got blown out and it was never really close in the first half. It was ugly, but this final score, 125 to 89 in game five when they're trying to, you know, stay hang tough in this series. And it was embarrassing for Philly. Yeah. I, I, I want to take it a step 
and, and I believe this was another medical condition. Like this was was uh, an upper respiratory situation, which you know I said two days ago. How many times have you seen a guy in a series have two different stomach bugs from game one to game three? <laughs> right. How many times have you seen a guy have three different um, uh, medical conditions? Now you've got an upper respiratory situation going on. Um, I'm not going to speak to any of that because I hope Joel Embiid is healthy. I, I do. Right. But even, even when you are under the weather, if you are the guy, you, you there's a there's a responsibility – for you to be there and be present and be competing at the best of your ability. And I would, I would challenge anyone that watched that game last night, um, to tell me that they thought Joel Embiid was there in spirit. Mm-hmm. He just looked like he didn't want to be there. You know, his body language was awful walking into the gym. His, uh, his play was lackluster at best. It, it, there was no real energy about him. And when you are that guy, people you know they 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 feed off you. Yeah. He's the he's the alpha. They like, take their the cues from you. Absolutely, they do. And you know the TNT guys were on him pretty hard. And I totally agree. You've got to learn to grow up and mask some of your issues. If it is a sickness, everybody gets sick. I mean, you got to suck it up. We don't want and Dude, I'm this fighting is almost through one right, right now. Exactly. You're taking those wellness pills, which would be a great sponsor for the show. Correct. By the way, they are fantastic. Um, by the way, but like you, you just don't tell people about it's the Bill Par- Bill Parcells line was great and it's so perfect because it's don't tell me about the pain, it's show me the baby. That's and basically, his thing that was kind of insensitive at the time, but because he said it, I'm yeah. just repeating what he said. Right. Basically, saying don't tell me about how hard it was. Show me the reward. Show me show the me result. the result yeah. when it's at the end. And I think Joel Embiid, because you use a good talking to from Bill Parcells or some. To get into him and say, I don't want to have another text message at 6:20. I don't want an update every hour about your status. I want you to be able to perform. And when you're out there, I want you to give it your best. And if you're sick, we'll let it. We'll deal with it. We'll figure it out. And we'll take you out if it's that bad. But we can't have this. I'm in. I'm in. It's a loser's limp. That's what it is. It looks to me like an excuse for Joel Embiid. Every time he's out there, he's got an excuse, and it's a bad look. It is a bad look, and it kind of speaks to the maturity. And we've we've had this conversation before about Joel Embiid. You're the same guy that'll get up there, and when 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 you're able to front run, you are as good as there is or there has ever been in terms of front running. He right. is. Oh, he'll get up there and grandstand and do the throw, windmill yeah. after he does the thing, after he dunks the oh, windmill dunk. At the press conferences after, after funny, games, funny, making jokes about people. You know, you are front running. Immature people can do that. That's an easy thing to do. I got kids six, you know, seven years old in a front run with the best of them. When you're down, when your back is against the wall, when you're in that corner and you are the guy and your team needs you to come out and respond so that they can follow. Then what do you do? And that really does speak to maturity. Are you a pro? You know, can we trust you in, in these situations? And, you know, what I said about Philly coming in, really inconsistent, not just as a team, but from player to player, huge, you know, inconsistent swings throughout the season. I don't trust them and I don't trust Joel Embiid. You know what's interesting to me? Cause we can all, like the media is all over Joel Embiid. They're criticizing for some of his antics for the excuses that are being made. What we say doesn't really matter. I'm really curious to know what his team. Ben Simmons is fed up with that. I've watched his last two interviews post game. Ben Simmons is done with Joel Embiid. Right. I'm telling you right now. With the antics, with excuses, because they ask him the pointed questions, and his responses could not be more dismissive of of this is what are we talking about? This is ridiculous. Everything about his his um his his body language says I I think it's ridiculous that I got to talk about Joel Embiid and this BS right now. Speaking of Ben Simmons, does he get? I mean, he shouldn't get a pass. He was almost just as bad 
in yep. the game. He did not have a good performance. I mean, this was an, a Philly dumpster fire, the performance last night. It was yeah. awful. It was embarrassing. And to me, it did look like they threw in the towel. Yeah, like they, at some point they were like, we're not winning this one. Let's just get ready for the next midway, game. Midway through the third quarter, you came out in the third quarter, they went on a 10-2 run. Um, so there was some life in Philly, right? Mm-hmm. Went to the bar, got myself a little bourbon. By the time I came back and sat <laughs> down on the couch, um, um, Toronto had ran off seven. It was back to 16. Danny Green hits the three in the corner. And at that point, Philly went away. It was over. Um, the first half, they completely got punched in the mouth and just outplayed. They weren't ready to play. Toronto was. Yeah, Ben Simmons was bad too. Seven points, um, seven rebounds. Here's where I do give Ben Simmons a pass. I think that he's marginalized playing with Joel Embiid. He, it's clear that the ball is Joel Embiid's, and that's the way that team's going to run. Ben Simmons' skill set does not fit well with Joel Embiid's. And so in that space, there's only so much he's going to be able to do. And so while, yeah, I would like him to have a better game, He's not being put in a position to do what he does best, you know? And so I, I don't know what to say other than, you know, Philly has some things to figure out. I, I I don't believe that those two are really, really great fits for each other in terms of playing off of each other. And so if you want to hold Ben Simmons accountable, give Ben Simmons the ball, open the floor up, put all the shooters around him, and yep. then if he lays eggs, you can then turn around and say, Ben Simmons, you you, you, you know, we expect more out of you. Yep, it's going to be interesting to see if they can bounce back and get back in the series. All right, we've got to bring in a guest here because I'm super pumped about this. We've got Meta World Peace ah. to join us right now. Raza's boy, now i got to get, at some point in this interview, we are going to get to the little tussle that you had with our guest here, Meta oh, World man, Peace. All right, all love. we can get some details <laughs> on that in nah, a little what's bit. Up, baby? What's up, Meta, you good, babe? Everything's really good, man. The last time I saw you, we was on a court boxing out or something. <laughs> I think I saw you briefly after you retired, maybe also. <laughs> it's, good. it's good to see you doing well, man. It's great. It's been a minute, man. It's good to see you too. Hey, let me, let's get right into it, man. I want to ask you about, uh, just growing up. I got kids. I'm on this youth circuit now. Um, we get to travel to New York and play against all these great gauchos and, and black ops and Riverside teams. Talk to me a little bit about yeah. growing up um, in the Queensbridge area and what basketball was like in the city at that point. Yeah, basketball was great, man. It was a lot of tournaments. So we had Soul in the Hole in Brooklyn. We had, well, the Queensbridge Projects, we had tournaments there. Gun Hill in the Bronx, Watson in the Bronx, um, Kingdom uh, uh, Uptown, 145th Tri-State Classic, Rucker, um, I mean, just so many great tournaments, you know, across across the city. So you always had opportunities to play. You could play three, four games a day. Um, UDC, uh, um, Millbank, uptown had so many tournaments that you could play in. On um, the Navy Yard and Fort Greene, it goes on and on and on and on. So I was able to get a lot of repetition, you know, here in New York. So, Meta, you're on here promoting Quiet Storm, the Ron Artest story, which is going to air Friday, May 31st at 10 p.m. Eastern on Showtime uh, during Mental Health Awareness Month. It really looks fascinating. I've caught clips of it. Our producer has watched the whole thing. It looks incredible. But one of the things that you talk about in the documentary is your earliest memories of playing basketball and the way you learned the game. How What, what were those memories like for you growing up, your earliest memories playing hoops? You know, my earliest memory was my dad. I remember going on the court and not being able to put the ball through my legs. You know, any young kid just starting to play basketball, obviously you're not going to pick it up right away. And I remember, you know, getting in trouble sometimes and my dad taking me to the basketball court and saying, okay, son, this is where you're going to release all that energy, all that extra energy. So I remember the days where my dad would play against me, push me around, and he was a really big, strong man, about 6'2", maybe 230, 240, 
you know, very muscular man. And I remember him just not letting me get anything easy. And then when I was 12, 13, I started to play with grown men in, in the neighborhood. And I was prepared because my dad pushed me so hard. So you, you got to play with uh, Sham God in high school, and you played with L.O. And, and Elton Brand in AAU. So even before you got yeah. to the NBA, you were playing with fantastic players. Uh, back in those yeah. days, who who was who was the chosen one uh, out of out of all of those guys in NYC at the time? Um, and and did you know yeah. that they were all going to be stars at the next level? Wow, I mean, I grew up. Um, I played with Sham my freshman year at LaSalle Academy, the end of my freshman year, because I, I didn't make the varsity team until the end. Um, but also, when I was a uh, thirteen and fourteen, I played with Lamar Odom and Elton. We always knew uh, Elton was always like the best. You know, on a team, he always had the best numbers, and and then Lamar, uh, and then it was like me and Eric Barkley, and a couple other uh, a couple others that was on that team. But you kind of you kind of knew Elton was going to be like the one. He had a great career. He averaged twenty and ten for his career. Right. And then um, that was the AAU circuit with Riverside Church. And then in high school, I played with Sham Wells. and I, I thought Sham God would have a longer uh, playing NBA career. But you know, it don't work out like that for everyone. Sometimes you could be somebody that was a, a Division three college like Ben Wallace and, and Devin George, and, you know, you become a, you know, a long-time uh, NBA players. Right. So you guys must have been unstoppable. Yeah. Did anybody give you any yeah. run, or did you guys just run through people? Wow. Well, that, that AAU team, we ran through everybody. We played against um, Shane Battier team one time and, and somewhere, I think, in Augusta, Georgia, at the Peace Jam, you know, beat them by a good amount of points. Baron Davis team was the only team that ever beat us uh, when I played with Elton and Lamar. Uh, and then we actually came back and beat them in a championship. Barron has a story about that, actually. But that was the only team that ever beat us, and we beat them. We beat. We was winning championships by 50. We were going to championship games against the All-Americans and say, okay, let's try to win by 30 or 40 tonight. So I was watching 30 for 30 the other day, the uh, the story on Felipe. And I actually forgot that you guys kind of crossed paths uh, when you were at St. John's yeah. at the end of his career there. So let's let's talk about your career because I remember my moment where I thought it might be possible to play in the NBA. Was that something that you knew okay. going into St. John's or did you have a moment when you were in school where you said this could be a possibility for me? Like I, I can play at that next level. Well, I mean, I, I didn't know. I knew I was tough enough to play. I knew I wasn't afraid, but I didn't know if I had the skills or not. So, you know, at St. John's, I was only averaging 11 points. Like, that's not really good enough. But I continued to play hard. My defense was good. And then people started talking about, hey, he got good defense, solid player, could pass, could shoot a little bit. That's when I started to get the confidence. And then one summer, Chris Mullen, Mark Jackson, Jason Williams, um, RIP, Malik Silly, um, Sharnell Scott, they all would come back and play basketball with us at St. John's. And I remember playing against Mark Jackson in the post, and he was a pro at Indiana. And I remember backing him down a little bit. I wasn't able to back him all the way down, but I was able to, to, to feel some NBA strength. And, you know, Mark was a big, strong point guard. And I remember at that time saying, okay, I really have a shot to physically play in the NBA. I just got to continue to improve. Mm-hmm. Uh, Meta World Peace joining us on Canel and Bell to promote Quiet Storm. The Ron Artest story is going to air on Showtime May 31st at 10 p.m. There's an incredible story in there. So you were drafted 16th overall by the Bulls. And then your first offseason, tell me if I'm getting this right, you got a job at Circuit City like while you're on the Bulls as yeah. a first-round pick. Why, what possessed you to get a job at Circuit City? Well, you know, uh, my friends are working there. So, you know, I had, I had babies at an early age. I was 16 or 17 when I had my first child. So I did have a family at that time, but I was still a young dad. So I brought my friends with me to Chicago, 
and they were working because um, they had to get jobs eventually. So they got jobs. When I would come home, they wouldn't be there. So I would say, okay, I'm going to go work where they're at. So they was working at Circuit City, and I went and applied for the job. I got the job. I was just bored, and I was getting into some trouble. At that time, it wasn't publicized, but I was running the streets of Chicago a little bit too much. And I said, I got to just focus on basketball. And I thought, like, doing something productive as the practice would work. So I went and signed up, and I worked for one day <laughs> before the, the story got out in Chicago. Met a piece of Ron Artest at the time. is working at a Circuit City, and I was like, okay, I don't want that pub. So I just told the, uh, the general manager that I'm not going to come back and work. It's fantastic. Hey, uh, the, before we get before we get to the mental health side of it, I do want to ask you because you know obviously you were a great defender, and the rules have changed in the league since we played. We were we were more of a physical brand. Right. Put your hands on you. Yeah. Um, what would you do when you're watching these games now and you see cats like Kevin Durant, um, you know James Harden, guys that are that good with the ball, even Jamal Murray? Yeah. How how would you attack them defensively? What would be your your strategy? Understanding the new rules in, in today's game. Well, you know, the rules are kind of back. When we played, we came in an in era where it was tough. And then sort of when we was in the middle or the, it's sort of the middle of our career, the rules started changing. I don't know if you realize the, the rules are starting to come back a little bit, but it's not as competitive as it used to be. So what I would have done, would, um, I would have had to be 23 years old in my prime defensively first <laughs> to deal with James Harden right, and, right, right. and Kevin Durant. You know, and what I would have done is probably just use my conditioning to uh to stop them that's what i did with a lot of guys um what i would do with like guys like vince carter i would let them drive because i knew when you drove to the basket it's like running on a treadmill you're going to get tired so i would let guys drive let guys drive and guys don't like to drive all the time that's why they pull off a jump is because driving to the basket and jumping for a layup it takes a lot of energy so then by the time the second quarter come the third quarter come they, they, they got they got tired of driving. You would see guys not want to drive to the basket, not because they're afraid of Jermaine O'Neal, because they don't want to waste that energy. So I would have had to treat those guys the same way, give them the lane, give them the lane, and then I would depend on my conditioning at the end of the game to be able to cut them off and get back to the jumper. So, Meta, you were a part of one of the most infamous uh, incidents in NBA history in the Malice of the Palace, and it's something that has been talked about a lot. It's changed a lot about the rules of the game and to try to promote safety and players from going into the stands. But for you and your reputation, how has it changed you? How have you tried to make sure it hasn't defined you, or how have you used it to kind of grow as a person? Well, you know, um, the brawl was just one incident that happened. I had a lot of other things that happened before the brawl, you know, that was, wasn't publicized. The brawl was one of those things where somebody threw something at me, and um, I, would, I would tell anybody, if somebody hits you, you hit them back. It's, it's really that simple. Um, but it was other things um, that happened in the brawl, I mean, sorry, that happened throughout my career that was more of a, like a negative, defining moment for me, you know, not being a really good teammate, uh, you know, uh, having uh, tantrums and, and, and practices, you know, and, and different things like that. You know, those are the things that I talk about because, you know, when I'm talking to my players that I coach, I try to give them those experiences. You know, but the, the brawl was something that I think if you was in uh, working at IBM and um, the mailman threw a cup of water in your face, you probably, you know, going to smack him up a little bit. Damn right. Um, <laughs> so I, I don't have a lot of regrets over the course of my career, uh, Meta, but I, one of them would have been to have played with Kobe when I had the opportunity to do that. Uh, ju just because. What year, I, I, what year was that? 
<laughs> I wanted to know what I wanted to know what it was like to work like with him, what his work ethic was like. So just take me behind the scenes of what the day to day battle was like in practice with the cat like that because you were wired like that too. Like you weren't given an inch. Yeah. I know he wasn't given an inch. Yeah. What were some of those yeah. practices like? It was amazing, man. I remember being in practice and Kobe's ultimate the ultimate competitor. Before practice, I mean, sometimes Kobe would be in the gym, 5.30, 6 a.m., you know, um, and leaving the gym at 8, 8.30 in his car leaving. You know, that's pretty, he's already got a sweat and shower. And practice is super competitive. He always was talking trash to people, Sasha, whatever the case may be, to myself. And uh, those that team was a, it was a bunch of wild people. You had Andrew Bynum, myself, Derek Fisher. Nobody was backing down. Sometimes Sasha and Kobe would, you know, they would get into the most arguments. <laughs> and the most, like, I guess I would say face-to-face things. And sometimes me and Kobe, we had our moments where, you know, one, he was talking trash to me one day, and I just couldn't stop talking. And Phil uh, said I was disrupting practice. <laughs> disrupting practice. And um, <laughs> it was wild. <laughs> we had a lot of wild days like that. Yeah, it, guys- was, it, was, it, was, it was really cool, man, really cool. <laughs> Did you and Kobe ever come to blows in practice? No, ne- ne- never, never. Uh, the only one that ever came close to blows was um, one time uh, Lamar almost got into a fight with Josh Powell and um, and Sasha and Kobe. You know, uh, sometimes sometimes Sasha would get on Kobe's nerve. Um, <laughs> Sasha is a real, real competitor. All right, so one of the best parts about you joining Kobe and the Lakers was becoming a world champion in 2010. What has that meant for you, not only as a basketball player, but in your life in general? You know, becoming a champion is cool. Uh it was something I always wanted. I didn't think I would have the opportunity, uh, given what I put my teams in Indiana through. Not so much the brawl, but after the brawl, the yeah, I came back, I requested a trade. Um, Donnie told me any team that was going to sign me to a contract, he was going to match him. They had, they, they uh, gave me a lot of support. So I didn't think I was so uh, – I wasn't a great teammate at that time. I didn't think I was going to have the opportunity to win a championship because of karma and different things like that. So when I won a championship, the first thing I did when I got on the podium, after I left the, the court and thanked my psycholo- psychologist, um, when I got interviewed at, at, the, end, at, the, on the, at the podium, I said, um, you know, I want to thank Indiana because uh, they were very supportive of me and, and treated me like, you know, like a brother, everybody there at Indiana. You know, so, you know, there's it, so many things that go through my mind about winning that championship. It's not as important to me, you know, as people think because – of the people I didn't win it with. No doubt. Um, Meta, I want to ask you, because when we played, you know, mental health was, was something that, that wasn't really a topic of conversation. There was a, you know, there was a little bit of a stigma around it. And even the NBA, who had, you know, done a really good job of educating us on, on financials and, and, and relationships and, and all of that, they, they didn't really educate us on, on mental health. And so, you know, I'm curious to yeah. know, you see, you know, um, DeMar DeRozan and Kevin Love and guys like yeah. that now that are, that are openly kind of talking about it. You know, how does, how do you feel about that? And what do you think the NBA can do to further help, um, the conversation and help its players, uh, uh, with the mental health issue? You know, in terms of like player, uh, NBA player and mental health, it, it's so much that can distract players. Um, and there's so many bad habits that we develop, you know, as players, so many bad habits I develop, you know, as a professional player. And sometimes when you take those bad habits and you mix it with the pressure and different things like that, uh, so, and then sometimes you get players that take the, 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 the frustration from the, from the home 
to the court and vice versa. So I think, you know, a more open communication with the players and every player is different. You can't generally diagnose someone's issues, you know, when it comes to mental health. You, you have to treat everyone. It's, it's a custom, you know, kind of diagnosis, you know, um, with, with mental health and any individual. So I say hear out the player's story. You should know where they're from. You know, a lot of players, you should know, you know, did they grow up with a mom? Did they grow up with a dad? You know, a lot of those stories is going to tell you, you know, pretty much what type of person this is and what you have to look out for. At the core of everything to me is the family. So I think they should do more family activities. It don't have to be public, but just more things involving the family because a lot of players, when they get to professional sports, you know, as, as we know, they lose the family. And when you lose the family, you know, the, the, the child, even if you're not in the NBA, the child is more likely to get in trouble, you know, if they don't have that strong, you know, mother and father in the household or that support system. Even if the mom and father is divorced, that support system is super important. So I think family and then also partnerships between, uh, you know, your significant other, you know, um, whether it's a female or male, mostly females in the NBA, but, you know, some people have, you know, they, 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 they do prefer, you know, the same gender, but... The moral of the story is, you know, partnerships are super important, and we don't put enough importance on on that type of stuff. And all, right. all these different issues can cause can cause uh, mental health problems. It's awesome what you're doing. Uh, I can't wait for everybody to see the documentary, Quiet Storm, the Ron Artest story on Showtime, May 31st at 10 p.m. It airs live. Before I let you go, I've worked with this guy for almost two years, with Raja, <laughs> and I see little glimpses of, like, his, you know, when his, when his anger comes out. I can only imagine what he was like. Computer. Yeah, Raja, yeah. How much He's a of a time bomb too? <laughs> I, I, that's what, how much of a pain in the neck was he to play against when you faced him in the NBA? Man, you know, Roger was tough. It wasn't a lot of tough people. I, I remember the, when I was playing, Roger was coming into his own, and then when Roger started to come into his own, then you had more competition, Philly and different things like that. He was playing more, and you realize how tough he was. Matt Harping, um, um, Wallace, uh, it was. Um, both Wallaces, by the way, but I'm talking about the one on the perimeter. And Roger was in, in, in your face the whole time. And he could shoot. That was the other problem. He could shoot, and he was a hell of a cutter. You know, he can back cut. He could face cut. And a lot of people, you know, it, 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 it was real simple, uh, efficient, you know, movement. On top of that, tough as nails on a defensive end. So usually I'm used to everybody backing down. Roger would never back down. So that would make me frustrated. <laughs> you know, when Roger's like still, still playing hard. And I'm like, would you back down already? Would you just give in? <laughs> and Roger would never give in. I <laughs> love it. Was it great, man. man. I, I miss, I miss it, man. I miss it. Me too. Uh, you can't get that back. You know, you can't get that back. I love it. I love the scouting reporting on Boy Raj. Meta, appreciate the time, man. <laughs> really appreciate it. Great stuff. What you're doing, getting the message Absolutely. out on mental health. Awesome. Thanks for joining us. Good to see you, brother. New CBS Monday. Federal agents. Here's where we can see them. NCIS Hawaii is back. New criminals to catch. Armed robbery, aggravated assault, murder. And new investigations to be solved. These guys were good, but even masters make mistakes. Vanessa Lachey and featuring LL Cool J. Violent Island, we got here. Welcome to paradise. A new NCIS Hawaii Monday, 10, 9 central on CBS and streaming on Paramount+. Plus. 
Spring training is in full swing and fantasy baseball draft season is upon us. That means you need to join us on Fantasy Baseball Today in 5, part of the CBS Sports Podcast Network. Join Scott White, Chris Towers, and me, Frank Stample, every Monday through Saturday for six pods per week throughout the month of March. We'll break down the latest news, spring training updates, players to target, and much more in just five minutes. Make sure to download and follow on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, the Odyssey app, and everywhere else podcasts are found. So now we get Pete on. What's up, Pete? How are we doing? I'm great. How are you? Good. Hopefully your segments on HQ go much smoother than this one when we absolutely uh, just destroy <laughs> everything in the rundown and just kind of blow it up. Yep. But we saw a game seven last night uh, where the Blues beat the Stars in double overtime. It was phenomenal. I was talking to you just a second about, uh, in the break about my recommendation. A buddy of mine told me to take the game going to overtime. What has been unique about these playoffs in so many overtime games? Yeah, last night was the first, made the first time ever that there's been three game seven overtimes in the Stanley Cup playoffs, and we're only a couple rounds in, so it's pretty wild. I just think it's pretty wide open this year. A lot of these teams are, are even. This Blue Star series was really tight, so that wasn't a bad uh, suggestion from your buddy. Yeah, it's just been, it's been a very, very competitive, very close sort of weird year. I mean, we saw four, uh, four wild card teams make it into the second round, and all four number one seeds bounced in the first round. So this seems to be a very strange year. Yeah, that is that is pretty strange considering NBA is usually real chalky and what. Yeah. I'm still going with the NBA. Anyway, <laughs> let me ask you. So we're talking about these game 7s. We got Avalanche Sharks uh on Wednesday. I mean, that's tonight. Who will who, who do you got winning that one? Uh my head is telling me uh San Jose. I think they might be a little bit better. They might be a little bit deeper, but my stubbornness is is sticking with the Avalanche because I picked them in seven at the beginning of this series, and I think that they there's still a chance that they get it done. Like I just said, it's been very very close uh, through a, a lot of these playoffs, so I'm going to stick with the Avalanche. But I think it could be another tight game tonight, maybe another overtime. Who knows? Whose side are you on, Don Cherry or the Jerks? <laughs> um, I'm never on Don Cherry's side. I mean, he's a he's an entertaining guy, but. Uh, listen to that guy try to answer any questions is like watching a guy fall down the stairs. It's, it's, uh, it's painful sometimes. Uh, and I'm, I'm very much for, uh, for the fun and jerkness of, of all sports, not just hockey. Uh, I, I like seeing guys be disrespectful. It makes it more fun for me as a fan. It, it ramps up animosity. I know you don't like bat flips, Danny, but I love bat flips. <laughs> I love when guys get ticked off. It just makes everything so much more entertaining. See, I love celebrating hockey too, and I have no problem with it because you know what? You can cross check a dude if he comes out. Like, if you don't like it, you can handle it on the ice. Correct. Like, and, and, and baseball. You can plunk like a guy in baseball. Yeah, but then, but see, that's my problem with it. I love the bat flip, but I think you should be ready to get plunked the next time you come up if the pitcher doesn't like it. That's what I don't like are the people that say, oh, we love bat flips, so you can't do anything about it. I think there should always be an, an option for retribution, which should be out there. When you look at the Carolina Hurricanes, um, so they are these bunch of jerks. They have their beef with Don Cherry, which Don Cherry doubled down on again, which doesn't make any sense to me. But they do seem sort of like a fan favorite. Am I off on that? Or are they a team that people are gravitating to just because they have a funny nickname? No, I, no, I think that this is a, a very fun team. And, and they're, they're certainly – I don't even think they're mad at Don Cherry at this point because they've capitalized – on that slogan through marketing a hundred times over. So uh, it's probably the best thing that even happened to them this year. I, I really do think that this is a very fun team. It's, it's, a, it's a lot of young players, and it's in a market where obviously it's, it's not very traditional, and they haven't had a ton of success over the past 10 years. 
But, you know, they're having fun with it. Their crowd has been amazing through these playoffs. I know everybody loves to criticize Carolina for being fair-weather fans and whatnot, but they've shown up for these playoffs and been really, really loud. It's a great atmosphere there. All right. Well, they got your Bruins coming up. So, you know, do they continue to show up, or are you going with the hometown? I, I mean, I, they're going to continue to show up, but I'm going to go with the hometown. I think the Bruins are the best team remaining in these playoffs, and uh, I said it since uh, since – the Lightning got knocked out. I think the Bruins have the a pretty easy or uh, relatively painless road to the Stanley Cup, and and so I, I'm going to stick with that pick. All right, I want to ask you something off topic right now because you're in Boston, right? And you've got the the Celtics also in a playoff series. What's your confidence level with them right now, and how do you feel as a Bostonite about Kyrie Irving? I love Kyrie as as a player. I, I just wish sometimes that he wouldn't step in his own way with with his mouth. Like I just think that he he's not making the right decisions in terms of of post game quotes and things like that. It's I want to love Kyrie so bad, and he makes it difficult off the court sometimes. <laughs> uh, as for confidence level, it's hard to be confident at this point, isn't it? I I just think that this is a team that has folded. It's just. I think the biggest concern for me is is like the mental toughness of the Celtics team. A lot of people are pretty much everybody knows how talented they can be and what their ceiling is, but this is a team that seems to fold in on itself anytime there's some adversity in front of them. All right, good stuff from Pete as always. Next week I need a Twitter lesson on how to deal with trolls, but we're going to need a lot more time for that, so I want to make sure we give it ample uh, quality time for that one. All right, Pete? I got you. All right, appreciate it, man. I need the help, all the help I can get. Good stuff, as always, from our guy Pete Blackburn. Uh, make sure you go follow him on Twitter. Uh, he's a great follow, not like me. All right, welcome back to Kinell and Bell, hanging out, talking a little NBA. It's been a fun show so far. Uh, we talked about the Sixers getting embarrassed by uh, Toronto. Yep. Let me ask a question. Before we get to uh, Nikola Jokic, what's the difference? Why aren't the Trailblazers taking as much heat as the Sixers are? Um, I don't know. I think they were, you know, it's trust the process, been more highly publicized. There's a lot more coverage in Philly than there is in, in Portland. Most people, me included, thought Portland was going to lose to OKC. So it's kind of like house money, I think, for them at this point. Yep. That's why I could, I don't know. So, uh, earlier when Dame Lillard hit the game winner, I forget which game it was. We were talking about Damian Lillard, what yeah. a star he is, top five player potentially, like just because he plays in this small market, but he's been limited since. Uh, by the Denver, uh, Denver Nuggets. What have, what have, have you seen anything Denver's done specifically? Well, Denver's been, you know, Denver's keying on Damian Lillard. I, for the life of me, I, I don't understand sometimes why NBA teams will just watch a guy go completely banana cakes against them and not trap him and try to get the ball out of the, out of his hands. OKC never really employed that tactic, so Dame just kept, Whatever they switched on him, he just kept cooking it. Um, Denver's trapping him, trying to get the ball out of his hands, making it really hard for him to get it back, like in a denial after he gets rid of it. Um, it's definitely thrown him off. And look, Dam- Damian Lillard is a really, really, really good player. But I was listening to my man um, 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 Jalen the other day, and you know, you know, I was waking up having a cup of coffee, and, and Jalen's thing was, you know, there are levels to this, and I've said it before on the show. There are there there are different levels of player, and and not every really good player is a great player, you know. And you separate yourself as a great player during this time of year. Do you understand what I'm saying? Absolutely. Well, Embiid, right now, if you're going to be a great, everybody walks around telling me how good he is. I got that he's got all of this skill. There are a lot of guys that got a lot of skill. Some some have way more skill. But what do you do now when your team needs you? And the lights are bright. Everybody's watching. You got to get the win. That's when greats separate themselves. And you know, 
Dame had a, a modicum of success in that in the first round. Um, you know, but, but now they, they need him. And, you know, 19, I mean, 22 last night, he's averaging 29. Over the series, he's averaging 26, which isn't bad, but he's only shooting 42% and 25% from three. You know, that's not good enough when you really hang your hat on him and CJ McCollum carrying your team. Yep. You mentioned uh, about the fact of playing in playoff basketball. It is a total separator when you're talking about, and I was going to say good to great, because there are a lot of guys who can play well throughout an 82-game season, 162-game season, 16-game season in the NFL. But then it's what separates the good from the great and even the great from the legends. Absolutely. Like you're talking about legacies because it does amp up. There is more pressure. Everybody is trying harder. And championships, postseason success, that is how you separate yourself. So, you know, if we were talking here, well, why isn't Dame Lillard a bigger star? If he made deeper runs and better performances, yeah, longer he got term. knocked out in the first round, got swept by by New Orleans last year. Right, and Drew Holiday had him looking like he was a pedestrian basketball player. Yep. Earlier uh, in this series, it might have even been Denver's first round series versus the Spurs. There was a uh, press conference, and Mike Malone, the head coach for the Nuggets, was talking about Nikola Jokic, and he was saying, "Hey, he's he's one of the best bigs in the game right now. You guys need to appreciate what he's doing." And I was like, "Yeah, that's a coach, you know, stroking his player. Like, yep. good for his coach." You think it could be more than that, that he actually might be making a really good case that Jokic is underappreciated and undervalued in the NBA cycles. Yeah, yes. Can we throw those stats up again? Can we? Do we have the capability? I think we can. I think we should be able to. Throw them back up. Every single category for him, save for the— It's it's like the opposite trend of what you usually see. Correct. It's up, except turnovers, basically, which are down. Assist up to a game. Rebounds regular season to to postseason. Correct. Points per game up four and a half a game. He He is stepping up when his team needs him the most. And, you know, I slept on Nikola Jokic. Again, Denver's that kind of sleepy market, not really West Coast, not really East Coast. You know, you're in that, what is it, mountain time zone. Yeah, it's yeah. weird. They don't get a lot of games. Um, there's no real star power aside from Nikola Jokic, but but he's not he's not a star power type of guy yet. He should be. Like, he's real. I look, Listen, I don't, this is not a pick on Joel Embiid segment. I don't, this is not what I'm trying to do. I think Joel Embiid is fantastic. I do think availability is one of the most important abilities when you're a professional athlete. And I have questions about Joel Embiid's availability. So that already knocks him down a peg. But when you're talking about guys who are going to show up and do what they do, and I have a friend that works for Denver, and I talked to him the other day, and he said, we know exactly what we're going to get out of Nikola Jokic every single game. When you can pencil in 24, 10, and 5 every game, it makes a coach's job, a player's job, exponentially um, easier. Like, I can come in and just support this. That's what I'm going to get. And so consistency is key, but then stepping it up from consistent to being even you know better numbers and consistent in the playoffs is when you start to separate yourself from the rest of the class that you're being compared to. That, to me, what you just said, uh, his assistant said about Jokic, is one of the best compliments you can pay a player. Like, There's no doubt we know we're getting a baller that's going to show up, he's going to be ready to compete, and he's going to deliver. Yeah. Like that, and that, you know, we've talked about Sixers, how do this team, like it's, it's great what we think, but what do his teammates think about him? I guarantee there's a doubt. And that, shoot, it's not even a doubt. They don't even know if he's going to play, actually play. And then when he does play, they don't know what Joel Embiid they're going to get. Right. Nuggets teammates, they know they're getting the guy who's going to come out, he's going to ball out, he's probably going to play really well. And that's an incredible compliment to somebody, and there's no better way you can gain the respect of the league. So if he still competes at this level, 
he's going to start really getting a lot more oh, notice than him, yeah. a lot more love than that, he has. That already. conversation, I mean, let's talk bigs in the NBA. I mean, who are you talking about? You're talking about Joel Embiid? Do you Embiid? think, would you take Jokic over Embiid? That's a tough one. Joel Embiid is really, really skilled. Really skilled. Now, some of it has to do with the way I'm building my team, right? Because they have different skill sets. Nikola Jokic is playing out in space. Um, all those kids from Denver, Jamal Murray's and the Gary Harris's and, and, uh, and, uh, uh, you know, all of those guys are able to cut Paul Millsap, um, and he's facilitating. So they're different. It depends on how my team was built, but he's definitely in that conversation for me because I, I like the way he goes about his business, Danny. This is personal preference. Mm hmm. I like that he's not up. I like that he's not a clown at the podium. I like that I don't have to read, you know, his comments on Twitter. I, I like that he's not in a beef with everybody. I like my stars to go out their business like that, go about their business like that. It, it, that appeals to me more. So yeah, maybe. And I would give up a little bit of the upside. Sure. Knowing that I'm going to get something that's accountable and that you can count on every single time. There might be this huge home run swing at Joel Embiid if mm -hmm. he, if he gets healthy and he somehow grows up. Right. But man, there'd be something to say about getting exactly what you think you're getting. Uh, and that's clearly what the Nuggets are getting. Uh, welcome back to Canel and Bell. Let's finish it off with some picks for tonight's games because I have full disclosure. Like sometimes I'll give a pick on here, but then I don't actually play it until later. And I'll be like, man, you know what? Raja's probably knows a little bit more about this. <laughs> and I'll follow you, which is what I did with the Rockets the other night against the Warriors. Yeah. Cause on here I was like, Oh, the Warriors are going to go. They're going to take one in Houston. And you were like, I don't think so. Went and took that one. I wish I had listened to at the very, very end of the show. You change. You're like, maybe the Bucks will win. Yep. Should have listened to you there tonight. Most people think the Celtics are done. They're toast mentally. Uh, they go back to Milwaukee, then Milwaukee's going to close it out at home. I think so too, but the bigger question is, will the Bucks cover laying nine points? It's a big number in the NBA. It's a tough game. It is a tough game. Okay, because I do think the Celtics have some pride and they will you come out and do. fight. Yes, they will come out and fight. Now here's what happens though. They've been a, a fractured unit all year long. They'll summon the courage. They'll summon the courage to, or summons, summon, summon. They'll summon it. Summon, yeah, they'll summon. Uh, the courage, uh, to, to play together, if they get down at some point in that game, third quarter, Rowan down by 8, 10, 12, it's going to get ugly. So I would take the Bucks at home to win the 9. That's a tough number for me. So here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to do a live bet. I'm going to wait and see how it unfolds. Okay. And just like you're saying, uh, and you might even, if it's closer at the beginning, like at halftime, if it's close, yeah. I might get a better number on Milwaukee. And if it's not, if it starts getting sideways, I might still take Milwaukee, even if it's a bigger number, yeah. and say they're going to blow them out of the water. Uh, do you think it's Kyrie's last game in a Celtics jersey, if that's the case? If they do lose and they get, yeah, they get I bounced? I do, too. I mean, it kind of like read the tea leaves. I don't think it's, it's even that. Uh, I think it's pretty obvious. Uh, the other game... Uh, is the more compelling one, the more interesting one. Tied up 2-2. They're going back to Golden State. Warriors a six-point favorite. You know this series could easily be 3-1 Houston right now, right? Oh, yeah, for sure. You yeah. get a couple of those calls to go the other one, way. Yeah. One could have been. I mean, you could make the same argument if you were Golden State. For sure. You know, um, this is an interesting one to me. I'm going to say... This is big. I want to take a, I want to go hot take and say Houston, but I really do think human nature starts to kick and I think Golden State goes home and wins. Do they cover though? I think they cover the series. You do. You think they, you think they turn it up, they bump it up a yep. notch. I think the one thing too that we haven't talked about is Harden's been incredible. He hasn't had that real off night. I mean, right. his worst game, he had 29. Yeah. He's delivered every time. Like, I, and not like, I want to say like, almost like, is he doing What's, what's Clay's over under? 
Oh, you like, so you think yeah. he's, he's the guy they're going to focus on to get over is what you're saying? Well, what is it? I'm curious. I don't know. I'll have to yeah. look it up. Sometimes they don't post those All for right. a few hours yeah. before the game. Uh, if his, if his number's gonna... around 20, 22, yeah. over. So you think this is the game they he's make a concerted be. effort to get Clay involved in the game plan? And even if they don't make a concerted effort, he's I think he's going to be. Playing back at home, familiar confines, get the ball in his hands. And, and I think KD, KD, conversely, will probably take a little bit of a drop in, in what he does. Nice. Uh, if they do win, the team that takes the 3-2 lead wins the series 82% of the time. So I know we use that must-win term, mm-hmm. but it does feel like a must-win for whoever was this one. We'll go on to, uh, to close out the series. All right. It's Wednesday. You know what we have to do? Yeah. Shoe showdown. Let's do it. I'll go first. first. Yeah, you go first. You go first. I'll go first because I had to bump it up a little bit. I've been getting ragged online a little bit. It's before beauty. So I'm bringing out oh, you the Retro them? 4. Oh, yeah. you got to present them correctly. Presentation. The Retro 4 is green glow because they have the green on the bottom. I, I kind of like these. Gray, kind of a subtle little look here. Very clean. Yeah, go ahead. Uh, they got the whole deal right here. These are hard to find. Yeah. You can't exactly find these on the shelves anywhere. Three pairs in my house. These aren't. My kids all have <laughs> the, the green glows you have? Oh, no, I don't because I don't love them. Right. Oh, all my kids have them. You just threw shade on my uh, green glows. All right. You the went three with. OG black cements, dog. <laughs> Crispy. Yeah, no, these are. This was my favorite Jordan in full disclosure. Like growing up, yeah. I used to spend hours like sketching this shoe. I wanted to be a shoe designer for a while. Really? So I would use this as that. like my platform and then I would like design off of it. So yeah, I my I love how shot. when you put your shoe up, it goes right in front of my face. Like I know. Totally well, it's a big shoe, dude. I can't keep it out of the shot. <laughs> I love it. That one, full disclosure. Yeah. I actually have a bid in on StockX to get a pair of those because those are pretty sweet, <laughs> but I'm too cheap. I don't want to pay up for them. I'm trying to get them to come back just a little bit because the premium on those is pretty high right now. Oh, uh, is it really? Yeah. No, they're, oh, they're, they're yeah, a popular shoe out there for sure. And you can rock them. I with used to love my Nike comp. I know. Man, I used to love my Nike. Give your old, uh, your old, uh, your old spots guys some love here. Can't we just get a little bit, just a little bit of allotment from Nike? Uh, just funny. send a little bit our way. All right. I got to untie these and put them back. Take off. them down, oh, bro. Why are they still up? I still think they look the best. They look so good. Make sure you go voice your opinion. Make it heard on Twitter at Canel and Bell. Uh, we'll see you tomorrow. Back with more NBA action. We'll break it all down.